welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. If you have a Bible, please turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. If you need a Bible, there's some green Bibles up here in the front, and maybe you can raise your hand and we'll have some lovely assistance. Um, Those that are gifted at Bible passing out, pass those Bibles to you. We are in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, we have been going through the book of Ephesians for um, a couple weeks now, uh, longer than that. I think it's been 20-something weeks. We're going verse by verse. Now, it's difficult to to teach through this book um, in 30 to 35, or if I'm teaching, 45-minute chunks. um, Because the book has been designed, it was written by a guy named Paul um, in around 60 A.D. to a church in modern-day Turkey. And it was written to a group of, of house churches that would have been in uh, Asia Minor in Ephesus. And the book was, it was not really a book, it was a letter and there were, there were no chapters or, or verses broken, breaking up this, this letter. And they would just read it all in one sitting. And then they would, they would chew on it as the community of God and its instruction. And so it's difficult as we go forward to teach bit and bits and pieces of it without keeping um, the entire uh, five chapters that we've already read in our mind and heart as we approach this text. So I'm going to do our best to just remind us of what we do as we come up and approach these five verses um, or six verses. We're going to read through 21 today. And um, so I just want to remind us of what, what Paul's doing. Paul's writing to a group of new Christians. So as we read this stuff, he's writing to new converts. And you may, may find that hard to believe, but that's the reality of what Paul's doing. And um, it's the, the, the letter itself is broken up into two parts. Part one, what God has done for us and who we are in Christ. What our identity fundamentally is because of the gospel. And part two is how we ought to live in view of what God has done for us already. So we keep talking about our, um, uh, this, this whole idea of, of Ephesians is becoming who we already are. Are you with me? So uh, I want to just remind us of some of the words that we've talked through. Um, if, if you would put up that first slide that I have. Um, so here's, here's what Paul says. We are apart from Christ. We're dead in transgressions and sins. Um, we're follow, we follow the ways of the world. We're ruled by the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We're enslaved to cravings and the desires of our sinful nature. We're objects of wrath. We're separated from Christ. We're excluded from citizenship in Israel. We're foreigners to the covenants and promise of God. We're without hope. We're without God. And we're far away. That's the bad news. <laughs> but here's the good news. Um, um, here, here's who we are in Christ. And this is taking just the words out of Ephesians to, to help us reflect on what our identity looks like and what, what's happened to us because of Christ. It says we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. We're chosen before the creation of the world. We're holy. We're blameless. We're adopted as sons and daughters of God. We're given grace. We're redeemed, forgiven, predestined, and included in Christ. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit, recipients of God's lavish grace and glorious inheritance. We've been made alive in Christ. We've been saved, raised with Christ, seated with Christ. I'm getting tired already. We are God's workmanship. We're created and brought near. We are part of a new humanity where you have access to the Father. We're fellow citizens, members of God's household, and the building blocks of God's holy temple. Is that good news? If you're here with us for the first time, I want to say this. If you are in Christ, you are adopted as a son and daughter of God. 
and you are considered a saint, meaning you're a holy one of God, that you are no longer defined fundamentally by the things that you do that are wrong, but God has fundamentally changed your entire existence because you're in Christ. So when you look at your life and you see um, uh, the burnout, the, the defeated, the, the, the despair, the, the dead behaviors, the harmful behaviors, the addictions, the lack of hope, the stuck in the same patterns, the feelings, in, uh, uh, feelings of isolation, um, the aloneness and, and the sin, those things no longer define you in God. And some of us find that hard to believe. But in Christ, we are defined by what God says about us. And those are some of the things that we need to take in on a regular basis. As I prayed for people last week and the week before talking about identity. I mean, how, how great is this good news? So, Paul invites us to live out of this new reality. Out of this changed identity, we get to, we get to live in a completely different way. And part of the problem is we don't know how to live out of this identity. So Paul instructs Christians. These are people that have confessed Jesus as their savior on how to live their ordinary lives because of this gospel. So because we're saints, we now need to learn how to live as saints. Now let me just do one more thing as an intro. When I say we, I'm referring to the church. Those of us that have, have a confession that Jesus is Lord. Are you guys with me this morning? It's so hard when you guys are so far back there. I'm so used to it being way closer. So it's a little more difficult for me. But so I'm, re- I'm referring to the church. And the church is the household of God. First Timothy says it's the bulwark of truth to the world. That we are the light to darkness. And Ephesians 2 says that we, we are to um, make known the manifold wisdom of God to the powers and principalities in the heavenly places by being a community of people that where the dividing walls of hostility that are imposed on us and humanity by the, the very powers and principalities that we're testifying to are being are revealing the reconciliation, the love and unity that God has for the world. We become a image of reconciliation by how we serve and love each other in this household. That the way we live in unity with each other by letting go of our economic status, by letting go of our tastes, our ethnicities, our preference in language, when we let go of those things, we reveal to the powers and principalities in the world that there is a God and His mission is alive and well. So how do we do it? (laughs) How are are we able to, to do that? I mean, think about how petty we are. I'll just think about how petty I am. I'm really frustrated that Greg keeps, keep, keeps me out with my latte. <laughs> Love you, Greg. I mean, that's just the smallest thing. But think about all the other ways. The guy next to you that doesn't have deodorant on. Or whatever it is. <laughs> we can go on and on about our pettiness and our issues. And Paul is instructing a church filled with people who have been told their entire lives to hate each other. That the way you love and the way you're unified together will reveal to the principalities in the heavenly places that God's mission is alive and well. So we need help. Are you with me? Okay, a couple more lists. So Paul's teaching us how to live in community because we naturally do not like each other. 
We naturally do not love in a way that is perfect. Would you agree? We do, we do not lay ourselves down for the sake of the other. Is that natural to die? No. It feels very unnatural and painful and inconvenient. Isn't it funny how we've built societies around our convenience? But so here's, here's, here's some lists. This is what Paul says. In view of this grandiose picture of what the church is to represent, don't do these things, church. Don't engage in sexual immorality or impurity or greed. Okay? Don't participate in filthiness, foolish talk, or coarse joking. All right? Remember, we're not talking about the world. We're talking about the household of God. Don't associate with practitioners of those things. So um, one, one way to say it is don't partner with people that are practicing sexual immorality, that are participating in foolish talk. Now, we need to go and enter into that, that, that area and bring redemption in life, but we don't partner with them. Um, don't take part in works of darkness, but expose them and don't get drunk in the household of God. You with me? Okay, so that, that list seems manageable, right? I can work on that. Most of us were like, sexual immorality. Now, what exactly do you mean by that? Like, how, how drunk is too drunk? I mean, is buzzed okay? Uh-oh. <laughs> he went there. And this is what he says. Now, this is what we're supposed to do. Check this out. Imitate God. Okay? Walk in love. Walk as in the light. Discern what pleases God. Walk as wise. Make the best use of our time. Be filled with the Spirit. Sing in passionate worship to God. It's not, I love my love. I love your presence. It's presence. It's not that. <laughs> Even if I could sing well. I, I was trying to be bad, just so you know. I can sing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to this. We're talking about this today. Give thanks and submit to one another. So here's the list. The don'ts and the do's in the household of God. Now, if I just gave you the list and said, go do it, you would fail miserably. So Paul's going to give us instructions on how we might be able to do this. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. It says this. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So verse 15 through 21. So Paul says, be very careful then how you live. The word careful in Greek means precise or accurate or intentional. And the word live also has to do with walking out your faith. So live intentionally or live um, precisely or accurately as you walk out your faith with God. Remember in chapter 4, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, where we said Paul gives us instructions to take off the old self, take off your old self that's been corrupted, all the old behaviors, and to be renewed in your mind, and then to put on the new self, which is being formed in the likeness of Christ for the purpose of righteousness and holiness. 
So we have, we have this kind of image, if you will, of, of taking off the old, of, of being renewed in our, in our way of thinking. I mean, how, I, I, I've shared this before, but when, when we think about how we think about things, how we see the world, when we walk into coffee shops and how we, um, how we uh, size up those in the coffee shops, renew that thought process. Renew the process as you enter in from a busy day of work, how you might enter into your house as you come home to your wife who's been cooking all day or whatever it is. Like renew your mind. And, and there are so many other examples. Those are terrible examples. Um, renew your mind of false identities and self-worth and put on the mind of Christ. And then, and then you put on the new self. Do you think that that happens on accident? Do you think that when you come to faith and God accepts you as you are, that as you grow into Christ's likeness, that it's just going to happen because you show up to church once in a while? Or is it because that you choose intentionally and precisely and accurately to walk out your faith in a very particular way? That's what Paul's getting at, that we have to choose this stuff in a very particular way. And then he says, um, don't, don't live as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So Paul will use uh, the Old Testament juxtaposition of wisdom and foolishness. And Paul says there are two patterns of life. There are, in the Old Testament, you see this in Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and Psalms and, and some of the other uh, wisdom literature that we, that we read in our Old Testament. Paul is referring to two types of paths that we can choose to live as fools um, who live as though there is no God, Psalm 14, or that there is no consequence to their actions or that there's no end in sight. That's the fool. Or we can live as wise. And wisdom is someone who is skilled in finding what, what pleases the Lord. Wisdom is someone who's skilled in what pleases the Lord. It's not just about intellect. It's about ethics. And to the Jew, it's about how you manage your ordinary everyday moments in life. Wisdom is found in those situations. So we read, if you will, in Psalm 1, where we, we see the kind of the, the introduction to these two paths. And it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the steps with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. That's the way of the wise. And Paul says, live that way, not as foolish. The fool um, and, and the wise person, according to the Old Testament, what Paul's getting at, is someone who frames his or her life in alignment with God. So Paul will go on to say that that alignment will be reinforced by worship, by thanksgiving, by speaking um, psalms and hymns, and being a part of a worshiping community. That's how, the, that's how we recalibrate our very existence, by coming together and doing those things. We're going to talk about that. But the wise person recalibrates his very soul and nature by singing songs to the Creator, by giving thanks to God, by displaying His dependence upon a Creator God. That's the beginning of wisdom. Are you with me? So, Paul says to live wisely and discern um, uh, what God is up to in the everyday unique situations that, you con- that conf- uh, you're confronted with. And he says this, he says, making the most of every opportunity. Or you could translate it that says, make the best use of your time. Now, 
In context, Ephesus was a unique place, and uh, they were surrounded by pagan idols, by false gods and images, by propaganda, by an over-sexualized and sensual culture, an over-alcoholic or alcohol culture. They were consumed with pleasure, self-service, lying, cheating. They lived for themselves, and they practiced in all of these activities. And so Paul, Paul frames it as, as the, the days are evil. Now, can we relate to any of those things? Ephesus was a modern-day Southern California in all reality. And, 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 and what Paul is saying is live intentionally as a follower of Jesus. And when you do this, it will require you redeeming time. So, so he says, this is what he's saying. He says, be careful how you live, not as wise or as unwise, but redeem the time you have. Don't waste your time. Now, this might not be so such a powerful statement, or maybe you're not thinking that this is pretty remarkable, but I want you to think about all the wastefulness we have in our day. I mean, think about how easy it is to check out on social media, to numb out on the Walking Dead marathon. No offense to the Walking Dead fans. I love Walking Dead. But... Netflix, ha- I mean, have, Netflix just released a new series. It's the first time it's ever been done. It's their own original series. And rather than it going week by week, they released the entire series, House of Cards. And it's 13 episodes, and you can immediately watch it because they said their consumers don't watch it week by week. They watch chunks at a time, hours of television at once. Think about what it means. Now, there's nothing inherently bad with watching TV. I'm not attacking that. But think about what it means to redeem time. Especially when you're watching the Super Bowl and the halftime show is a half-naked woman that every young girl is wanting to aspire to at some point that you as parents will have to identify with and say, that's not real beauty. Forgive me. I'm, I'm passionate about that as well. What is senseless waste of time? Paul's saying, as, as followers of Jesus, we don't, we don't, we, we redeem that time. We enter into those pagan cultures, those cultures that are filled with alcohol and senselessness, and we redeem it in the bar with meaning and life and encounter. Are you with me? Okay, good. <laughs> so Paul is challenging the church to take everyday moments of ordinary life and be intentional. Bring meaning, bring depth. And follow the path of wisdom. What does that look like for you? I'm not talking about selling all of your stuff and going overseas. I'm talking about when you leave this place, how do you do it intentionally? When you go and have, have lunch after this, how do you bring God right into the midst of your conversation with fellow Christians or non-Christians? How do you become aware of the presence of God in ordinary life? This is what Paul's after. This is the beginning of wisdom. When you recognize that he's up to something. Are you guys guys good? Okay, good. All right, now let's get on to some fun stuff. Here we go. Verse 18. Um, So Paul, I'm just going through this text, and we're going to land on what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Do not get drunk on wine or alcohol or fermented drink or, or beer, which leads to debauchery. Paul uh, attacks uh, this, this very specific culture in Ephesus. I want to do a little bit of a background so you can get what Paul's addressing here. And I just want to throw this out here from the beginning. This totally relates to our culture. Here's what happens. So in the ancient uh, Roman world, Greco-Roman world, people would gather for parties 
And there was a unique cultic practice and mealtime of gathering with alcohol. And it was called symposium. It's a Latin word, symposium. And the word means drinking party. And so the pagan cultures throughout the Roman Empire would socialize. So Roman citizens would socialize when they gathered in homes. They would come together and they would just get drunk. That's what they did. It wasn't an ethical issue to get drunk. When you'd hang out with friends at your house, the point of hanging out with your friends was to get wasted. That is how they had fun and entertained each other. It's called symposium. And in these, in these gatherings, when people would come together, they would bring uh, singers, entertainers, comedians to come along. And they would come and, and, and sing or, or, or tell stories or talk about sexual and moral stuff. They would talk about entertainment um, with sensuality. And then they, they would drink and drink and drink. And at, some, at one point in this, this symposium, uh, it would open up all sorts of sexual immorality between parties, orgies, drunkenness, all of those things. This is what Paul is writing to in the first century context. Paul is writing to a bunch of Christians that had no idea how to do church. This is the household of God. And some of them, if they were Jewish, okay, now, are you guys with me? Am I? Okay. So imagine if you're Jewish and you come from this uh, tradition and heritage that when you gather as the people of God, it looks probably a lot like the synagogues. You're used to worshiping God in a synagogue, so you just come as Christians and you worship God in these synagogues and you male sin on one side, women on this other side. Now, if you were pagan, part of Ephesus was one of the the, uh, biggest um, centers for worshiping Artemis and Dionysus and Bacchus. These are all ancient gods, which I'll talk about. But you would come together and worship these gods through getting drunk. And so if, if you didn't know any better, when you, you became this Christian, you'd show up to this house and they're drinking communion wine and you just did what you normally did. So in Corinth, Paul will say, guys, don't get drunk off the communion wine. That's why. Because there was this thing called symposium. It was part of their culture. That's just what they knew how to do as Christians. We're not talking about the world. We're talking about those that are Christians in the household of God. So Paul says, don't get drunk on this stuff. Now, here's one other interesting fact. As I was researching, I love this. And I couldn't help but think about our day and age. The, the, the high school students, the college students, the, those that are Christian and have, we have, um, because of our parents, if we've grown up in the church, you know, they, they said alcohol is bad. And alcohol is not bad. Paul's saying alcohol is not the enemy. He's saying drunkenness is an enemy. But what we've done as Christians is we've, we might celebrate our freedoms to a point where we go too far and the line's been blurred and our witness has been shattered because of this issue. So I think about that culture. But look at this. In Greco-Roman religions, drunkenness was a means of being unified to different gods. One god, Bacchus, Bacchus, his cult, uh, cultic symbol was the vine. And the way you would honor him was to, you'd get drunk, you'd play music, and you'd sing songs. Is that interesting? Now, I, I don't want to say too much, but think about the cultural practices of our day, of when we show up to parties and the idol in the room is the alcohol. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I used to party all the time when I was uh, at college at UCSB before I came back to faith and talk about debauchery. The word debauchery means senseless waste, void of virtue. 
You show up to these parties and the whole point is to get, you do a, a uh, you do a, what is it called? Pre-party or you do, um, um, what's, you guys, don't, don't be shy. Come on. Pre-game. Yeah. Well, no, there's another word. What's the other word? No, I'm not talking about that. Come on. Let's get some interaction. Who's the biggest sinner in the room? Who knows? Right? Just kidding. Just kidding. You know, you, you get, you get buzzed before you go out and then you go to these parties to get wasted. And maybe this isn't an issue, but I'm sure it's an issue in our culture in our day. So maybe uh, some of you have friends and you can talk to them about this. But, but the very idea is that that practice is not something new. It's actually something ancient that goes back to worshiping other gods. How crazy is that? Okay, it's just exciting for me. I love history. So Paul's response is to, in the church, redeem time. Don't waste your time. Make the most of every opportunity. And don't get drunk when you're hanging out. Because then you're under the influence of an alcohol rather than being influenced by the Spirit. So he goes on, and this is where we're going to land today. He says, instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul says, instead of getting drunk, be filled with the Spirit. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. I want to look at um, what happens when the Spirit of God fell on the first Christians. So before we get into this, Acts chapter 2, we'll go to verse uh, 1 and we're going to read. So here we have uh, Christ has ascended into the heavenly realms and the church is waiting as Christ promised that he would bring this power from on high that would en- enable them to be witnesses to the world. And they're praying. And the day of Pentecost comes. And it's the Pentecost means 50th. It was a time where the Jewish community came around to celebrate the festival of weeks and the festival of, 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 of first fruits. And so it says this. Uh, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from the heaven from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fires that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. And the Greek word is xenoelia, which is other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews and from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these guys hicks from far off? Skips down and it lists all the different languages that they're hearing. And it says, we hear them declaring, verse 11, the wonders of God in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. The first experience of the Holy Spirit filling the people of God is a violent rushing wind. They're, They're just trying to describe something happened as they were gathered as one body praying in the upper room. A manifestation of God's presence comes on the people. They begin to pray to God, declaring worship to God in different known languages. And the response is, what is going on? And you guys are drunk. The response to the Holy Spirit is amazement when the people of God are worshiping God in ecstatic excitement because the Spirit does that. People think, this is crazy. What's happening? 
And other people think, oh, you're just, you're just drunk. Because the Spirit of God is intoxicating. John records the first miracle of Jesus as filling tubs of water into wine. Because the kingdom of God is intoxicating. Because it has to do with fullness. And so the first experience of, of the people of God is they're all together. They're praying. Uh, other translations said they're praying in the upper room. And then they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they speak in known languages. As opposed to a very uh, another word is glossolalia. In the, in, that's what Paul is talking about in, in 1 Corinthians. When he talks about um, speaking in tongues. He, he uses the word tongue that's glossolalia. It means unknown language. When he talks about the different gifts, there's, there, let me just do this real quick. Glossolalia, there's an unknown language that we have as a gift from God as personal edification. It's a prayer language between you and God. No one else needs to know. Then there's glossolalia and xenoelia in the community gathering when someone might actually have a gift of tongues for the community. And when that happens, there needs to be interpretation. When there's a personal tongue for prayer that you're praying out to God, you don't need personal, uh, you don't need a translator. That's not what Paul's talking about. In the text, he's talking about for the gift of community. That's also in context of a worship gathering. Are you with me? We're going to talk about all this stuff at the Empowered Conference. Easy plug. If you're interested in the things of the Holy Spirit, March 1st, 2nd, 6.30 p.m. at LBCF. And we'll, we'll talk about it here that Sunday, March 3rd. Okay, so tongues. Go to Acts 4. So they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So they're filled. Acts 4. Peter and John are brought before Sanhedrin. Verse 23 says they were released. Basically, they go to the court to talk about Jesus. They were released. And Peter and John went back to their own people, the church, and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So the church comes together again. They've been persecuted or they've been, um, they've been threatened by the, the leaders of the Jewish religion. Um, and, and this is what they say. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Skip down to verse 28. They did what they did, what you, your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of our holy servant, Jesus. After they, they prayed, the place where they were, um, they, where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Acts chapter 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're gathered together. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, they're gathered together again. They pray in the midst of threats. Lord, don't stop the threats. Make us even more bold. And God comes down. The place is shaken. And they're filled with the Spirit again. Interesting. Now, there's a difference between indwelling and being filled. Indwelling is once you come to the saving faith, Christ dwells inside of you through the, power, through the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Go back to Ephesians. The word is a present tense, and it means to be, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit or continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a once and for all thing. It's that when we gather together, we continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of this filling isn't for this experience. But it moves into human relationships. It moves to submitting to one another. It moves into some dynamic witnessing to the world like husbands love your wives. 
Like, hey, parents, parent your kids in a way that's honorable. Hey, when you go into the workplace, serve as slaves to Christ. So, th- so we go to being filled. Let's go back. And that's, that's looking at the next couple of weeks. But what we have is that the Holy Spirit is the foundational and indispensable life-giving force for us to live out the do's and don'ts of this Christian faith. That Paul doesn't say, go and do these things. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit and he'll teach you how to do these things. To imitate God. To love your neighbor. To get rid of sexual immorality. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live that way out. Are you with me? And Paul says, every time you gather as the body, be continually filled in the Holy Spirit. How are you filled with the Holy Spirit? How do you get filled with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis? Well, Paul's... Intention here is to say that one way we are filled by the Holy Spirit is by meaningful participation with fellow believers in worship. How are we filled with the Holy Spirit? By meaningful participation with fellow believers in worship. Heartfelt, heart-expressed singing, thanksgiving, and worship thrills God and stirs us in a way that the Spirit of God pours out in ways we can't even try to manifest. Extravagant worshipful, worship-filled believers will bring a, t- a type of experience with the power of God. I've seen it happen. It's happened here. And I want to talk about this for a second. And forgive me, I'm going to go a little long because I'm passionate right now. When you taste and see the Lord is good, that's what you want in your life. You don't do things because, just because of disciplines. Now, I know many of us start here, but when you've experienced the power of God in a worship environment, you long for that. I long for our church to have a spiritual manifestation on a regular basis because the people of God come together with their own songs they're singing all week long. So that it's not, hey guys, let's warm up with a couple of songs many of us don't know. It's I'm coming in. I'm getting here early. I'll drink my coffee before worship starts. I'm coming in because God's going to be about something. I've been a part of worship gatherings where literally I'm praying for someone's identity and their scoliosis is healed. Because the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit comes with power on people. I don't know how it happens. <laughs> I don't, sometimes I pray for years and years for healing and no healing comes. There have been times where I say half-hearted prayers like, um, Okay, Lord, just heal my sister. And she starts freaking out doing jumping jacks. And it sounds crazy, and some of you are like, I want, I want it. It's, it, but what about order? What about, what, about, what about order in the church? But hey, you know what I say? It's better a little bit of wildfire than no fire at all. I want some wildfire here. And you know how it starts? Worship. It starts with your heart. It doesn't start with your words. It starts with your heart. Sing songs, hymns, psalms. Literally, Paul is giving us no form of worship. He's saying, allow for musical diversity. Allow for faith to lead. And Mariana, whatever they brought this morning, let them lead us and we'll participate in it. Or Pete or Jordan or whoever it is that comes. Allow them to give us songs that usher us into the presence in the throne room of God. So the Spirit Spirit of God comes on us. Like a wildfire where we can say something happened. It's shaked. Uh, God's here. I don't know what's going on. But I want to participate. Have you experienced this? And it's not for the sake of emotional ex- experience. It's for the sake of what? 
So the principalities and the powers of the world know that there's a God. So the manifold wisdom is expressed to them so that the world may know that there is a living, resurrected Messiah and that it's the power of God, not the power of preachers, not the power of worship leaders. It's the power of the people of God in everyday, ordinary life. This here is for us to allow this to overflow into the city, but not some like grandiose missional idea so that you can love your wife. So that you can love your spouse, so that you can grow up your kids in a God-honoring way, so you can bring them to the participation of the body and not let them nap because it's their nap time. You know what I'm saying? It's to, it's to grow up so that the world may know. It's not for us just to experience it. It's so the world will know. But how many of us are experiencing this? How many of us come here on Sunday with our convenience in our mind? posturing ourselves as we sing or there's no coffee anymore. Maybe it's a cell phone. Just throwing that out there. I, I, I sat up there. I was spying on all you guys with your phones. I wasn't. Whatever it is, how many of us come in here with the expectation that it's all about me, myself, and Jesus? And Paul says, if you want to be filled on a regular basis, you come for the body. Because as you bring your songs, you notice two things. Worship, according to this, is for two things. It's directed towards God and it's directed towards each other. That when we worship God, we're we're honoring each other. We're blessing each other. When we sing with our hearts, we're blessing each other on what God is doing. I think about my mom in this message all the time. For those of you that don't know my mom, her name's Danae. She's usually doing the hospitality. She usually has bags of food for people. And she's in our church. But my mom growing up, I could never hear her complain. She woke up with praises on her lips. Praises on her lips, singing, singing out to God. And thanksgiving for everything. I mean, she's gone through trial after trial after trial. And all she has to say is, I'm blessed by God. Because thanksgiving has nothing to do with circumstance, does it? It has everything to do with a posture of dependence upon God who is above all things. Guys, you want to start with worship. You start with thanksgiving for everything. Let me begin. Do you have a car? You should be thankful. Does, okay, well, um, uh, you know, my car's not as nice as theirs. You're already missing the point. Do you have legs to ride a bike? Do you have family? Do you have friends? Do you have food? Do you have a refrigerator? Do you have breath? Are you breathing without help today? We have a lot to be thankful for. It begins with Thanksgiving And the Spirit of God fills us. And guess what He does? It says, um, the next line of what happens. So what happens in a Spirit-filled community is five things, according to this text. One is we sing songs, or we speak songs and psalms and hymns. One, we sing songs with our heart and we make music. So that's three. The fourth thing is we give thanks to God for everything. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, these things happen. And the fifth thing is we submit to, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. A spirit-filled community takes the well-being of self and lays it down at the feet of others. And this becomes the dominant posture for every disciple in the church. That if you want husbands, you want to say, wives, submit to me, you have to recognize that that's not in the Greek text. That submit comes to every single disciple first. Bill's going to talk on this next week. But submission is what every single disciple does to every single disciple in the family of God. We take the well-being of ourselves and place it under the well-being of others. Does that sound like Jesus? 
So that's I, I got carried away, and um, <laughs> so I just want to I just conclude with this. Um, we have two pictures of, of people according to this text. I think we have self-focus, which is foolishness, drunkenness, wasting time, and living rebellious lives. And we have others' focus, which is full of wisdom, filled with the Spirit, where people redeem the time, and they worship God and submit to each other. I want to invite us from now on as we come together as one church. We're in this crazy transition. How great is it to be in one service right now? It's amazing. It's so exciting. This is temporary. Don't get too cozy. We might be folding and stacking chairs, but that doesn't matter. Does this, this, this is not going to define us anyways. Are you with me? But I want, I want our worship to define us. I want our hearts to be ready on Sundays, that we come in ready to go. Being filled with the Holy Spirit starts with the posture of your heart in worship. What do you have to offer to God this morning? How can you continually to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit? By singing, by bringing songs, by putting your hands... I mean, do you find this interesting that most of us don't... I mean, we, we don't posture ourselves in uncomfortable ways. But you know what the most uncomfortable posture was? How, how can we begin to worship God in our lives? So that's it. May you be filled with the Holy Spirit. And may we be a Spirit-filled community. That's my prayer this morning. You with me? All right, let's stand together. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.